Uh, what was the name of this game? Pink Pony oh, Robot when Unicorn, Unicorn Attack Evolution. Unicorn Attack Evolution. Robot Unicorn Attack Evolution. The robot Christ. part is, is key. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums Gaming Podcast. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that we always play a game to see who's going to be introduced first. This month... We've been playing the incredibly camp Robot Unicorn Attack Evolution. It's available online on adultswim.com uh, and I think on iOS and Android. So uh, if you're feeling in a particularly camp mo- uh, mood, I highly suggest you seek it out. The schools are in. I came in last with 8,100. Not a bad showing. Also joining me is James Thomas. Hello, hello. How are you? We welcome you back. Now that the great British Bake Off is finished, we can uh, we can coordinate days and you can make it back on the podcast. I know, it's, it feels quite embarrassing that my absence has been due to Victoria's <laughs> sponges, but uh, I stand by it. I stand by it, damn it. And I shed a tear last night after the final finished. Amazing. I've never heard of a show which divides the country yeah, so much. My wife's a big fan. You, you came in with uh, 9,651. Oh, not bad, not bad. I uh, feel uh, at least strengthened by listening to Erasure on loop for 20 minutes straight. What a song. What a song. Coming in second place with a score of 20,844. It's Mark. Oh, close. Uh, I'll take that. Not coming last. That's fair enough. It's a good showing. Yeah. And we welcome back Steve, our resident paper boy. It's been at least six months since you've been on the pod, I think. It has to, I, I was trying to remember it. It's be I can't remember when it was now, but it has to be about six months now. Ages. Uh, you rocked in a score of thirty six thousand five hundred and forty four, which is a oh, lot yes. of stars and a lot of stars jumped. See, I got to the dragon. In a way, I feel like we all take the moral high ground in that you've clearly played this a lot more than we had. Yeah, it got a token <laughs> fifteen minutes in my lunch break today. That's what he, just, you know, I've got nothing else to do with my time, so that's what happens when you sit there all day just playing a unicorn game. How far did you get? Yeah, what did you evolve into? Uh, <laughs> I got to the dragon. So so you evolve? Because I basically just kept jumping at, you, at yeah. butterflies and that was it. Yeah, if you if you dash through the stars, you evolve into another animal. Oh, you dash through the stars? Yes, oh, you, you press X to go through them. That, that's why I flipped the table and walked off, because I just kept crashing into them, and like, there was no escape. Ah. But I became a panda, and somehow I still finished behind you. Well, you can still collect the stars, and you, you could, in theory, keep playing on a loop, couldn't you? But it gets harder and harder to ju- just jump over the stars. So what happens when you reach the end of that Erasure song? Does it go through their greatest hits, or...? It moves to Pet Shop I have no boys? idea. <laughs> <laughs> One camp eight is tuned Jimmy, to another. Jimmy Somerville, maybe? <laughs> Okay, fellas, let's uh, jump straight into it. Um, big news this week sees uh, Framegate. Uh, Ubisoft have uh, hit the headlines. Steve, you got the backstory on this one? Yeah, it's um, Ubisoft's poor uh, marketing team coming out under the fray saying that um, Assassin's Creed Unit is going to be 900p on both consoles to avoid any sort of debate over which which uh, version's better on the PS4 or the Xbox One, but they have actually inadvertently just made the whole debate a lot worse now with people suggesting that Ubisoft have either been paid by Microsoft to sort of draw the console's level or that the the actual Xbox itself is bringing the, the production of games back for the PS4 because it can't handle the, the higher resolutions or frames per second that the PS4 potentially can. So they came out and said that it's going to be 900p and 30 frames per second on both consoles. Um, they find that it's a lot more suitable to these styles of games. It feels a lot more creative and that 60 frames a second just makes it feel weird. Um, Did they actually say people... that? Did they actually say it makes it feel weird? Yeah, it says it feels weird. Um, just look at what happened with The Hobbit when that released. Um, they said that it's in, it's, you know, it's comparable to that, that people, make, you know, the, the the image itself on screen looks different or weird to what it is in this sort of native 30 frames that people seem to be going back to um so yeah it's it's not an issue itself the they said that the game looks good as they would anyway um the more the issue is now that people have some some people have previewed it and it's just a case of whether the game's actually going to be finished and ready in time for the release and it's already been put back by two weeks already so that's more of an issue but 
a lot of people have gone, you know, gone off on one, and there was sort of threads on NeoGAF and other sites that are twelve pages long. People raging at Ubisoft and this, that, and other, and the Xbox is useless, and the PS4 shouldn't be held back by it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's not great to see the game being held back from its, you know, its true potential of 1080p because that's one thing that is a, a big difference to me. I can tell the difference between a game that's say 900p to 1080p, but the frames is something that I can live with. But it's it's more the way they handled it, saying that people are wrong, that they can't tell the difference, and that it feels. Weird. I mean, I have, I have to almost go with them. I think if you showed me in motion a 900p game compared to a 1080p game. I could probably not tell the difference. And I, again, it is just purely their PR department that's probably messed up here because I reckon if this had just gone unnoticed and just put out, no one would have, apart from Tech Foundry, when they went, oh, isn't this a coincidence they're the same, no one would have blinked at all about this. Let's, let, let's talk about frame rate as opposed to resolution now because I, I totally agree that I don't think you will see a huge amount of difference between 900p and, and 1080p. Well, the key thing here is frame rate. Now, I'm of the school of thought, as someone who, who makes my living in video, I think what we've got in terms of video frame rates are, are fine. They're perfect. This whole thing about 48 frames for The Hobbit or you know football at 120 frames a second, all of that's unnecessary. What we've got works totally. Whereas I think in the video game world, I think higher frame rates actually accentuate that gaming experience. I think it depends what it is, because something, if it's fast-moving, like a racing game, I think that definitely benefits from having 60 hertz. Um, maybe not so if it's an action-adventure like Assassin's Creed, because it's a bit slower-paced, you're trying to make your way around the environment. That's a good point, yeah, yeah. You're uh, and I think, point. again, in like first-person shooters, again, because you're swizzling the camera around so fast, 60 makes a difference. But it takes an amazing hit on what you can actually do behind the scenes as well, because if you're running at 30 compared to 60 in theory you can do twice as much yeah. uh, in terms of the actual processing and gubbins behind the scenes because i mean i think they said uh Eurogate, um yeah on Eurogamer, uh ubisoft came out and said that we could be running at 100 fps if it was just the graphics but because of the ai we're limited to 30 frames per second mm. but that's good they're actually using the power of the new generation of consoles for something that isn't just graphics which i actually commend in that sense they've they're using the extra memory using the extra processor bandwidth to do something that they couldn't have done before and i suppose in a game like assassin's creed where you've got this you know whole rich world where people are just kind of going about their day-to-day -day business it's a key part of gameplay and you wouldn't want to gimp that not at all, because like in previous Assassin's Creed, you just had these crowds that just mill around and uh, are basically just zombies. And at least this way around, they can try and inject some personality into them and hopefully make it more than just a, a bunch of moving trees that you're sifting through. Does anyone else share my sentiments in regard to frame rate in the video world? Did anyone see the 48 frames uh, version of The Hobbit when it came out in the cinema last year? No, I, I just saw the normal version. Was it, was it quite jarring when you saw it? I, just, I don't. I didn't really notice a difference, to be honest with you. It's. I just. I, I can't really tell that. I mean, sometimes in games, I can tell that obviously the frame rate does plummet, but a lot of the time, I can sit there and just not notice the difference. I think between. Uh, the 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 best way I can ever explain it to someone is if you watch Match of the Day live, and then watch Match of the Day on the iPlayer. Yeah. Or another example might be what makes um, a soap opera look like a soap opera. Do you see what I mean? You wouldn't want a movie to look like a soap opera. You want a movie to feel cinematic and, yeah, um, you know, epic in the way that we've grown accustomed to over the years. If you suddenly see EastEnders meets The Hobbit, it just feels odd. It feels strange. Yeah, I and mean, sometimes I can, and like the comparison videos and things, I can tell the, the smoothness of the picture and the clarity of the image is a lot better at 60, but... Sometimes it's just like, like like James says, if they if they're using the the power of the consoles more for the actual game itself rather than just the, the frame rate and the graphics and things like that, then I'm I'm happy for that. Yeah. Because um, obviously the unit is just coming to the PS4 and the Xbox One. They can't do this on the 360 and the PS3 because the extra power needed for the AI in the world. So f to that end, I, I do actually commend Ubisoft for for going down this route. I think we're seeing that in other games as well. I forget which racing game it was, but I think. Uh... It's either Drive Club or Forza. They were saying that certain aspects wouldn't be on the old generation because although it was the same core racing game, they couldn't pass over the extra RAM, extra processing power to do the AI, to do the background system. So 
I, I, I mean, I would take a game that ran in 720p on the next-gen consoles as long as they were using that power to do something interesting. Because at the end yeah. of the day, as long as it looks good, as long as it looks nice in motion, I really, really couldn't care if it's 1080p or 720p. But isn't that, I mean, it's, it's the issue is that, should we say, things like physics and, and AI and those kind of things, it's a lot harder to get that across in a screenshot on the internet. Yes. You know, it's it, it's very easy to, you know, make comparison videos and to see a screenshot and, you know, to kind of blow it up and see where the little individual differences are. It's a lot harder to talk about, you know, kind of little AI routines or something like that, you know, which you'll only really notice after a significant amount of playtime. Yeah, it's hard to put in a press release at that point, isn't it? But I mean, it's still very early days in the console generation. I mean, we're we're less than a year in. And think how long it took for the 360 and PlayStation 3 to, to get really slick. And um, we were talking two years before it started hitting its stride. And then, I mean, look look at the last GTA, and that was on previous generations, and that looked amazing. I can't help but feel that if Leon was here as well, he'd be, uh, he'd be pounding his fist down trying to make the point that surely gameplay is the, is the key as well. You know, if it... If it's uh, if it's a great game, it's going to shine anyway, irrespective of um, of whether it's running at thirty or sixty. No, I was going to say that Leon, uh, you could uh, try and poke a bit of fun at him that his uh, Halo Two won't be running at full ten eighty the when it comes out next month. Is that is that been uh, announced at nine hundred p as well then? Uh, it's, I don't know if it's nine hundred, but it's definitely not full ten eighty. Mm. It's because it's got two engines running um, to run it at classic mode and full HD mode, which. Right. Um, right. Apparently they're having trouble with. What what was its previous resolution though? As long as it's up on that, I'm happy. Well, well, Halo Two will have been shocking on Xbox One in com- uh, on Xbox the the first Xbox in comparison. Five forty i or something like that. So seven even seven twenty would be a bonus for anyone really, surely. But is does does this mean that this will possibly be an ongoing theme now until the the platform and the development matures? I, I think it's it's going to be an on running theme for forever. It's just. A lot of this seems just to be clickbait in my mind. Like you look down a few mm. of the larger news sites and pretty much you don't get a week or a day going by without a, some sort of comparison, some sort of uh, run-in between the two fanboy groups. I think it will carry on until we get that feeling of a generational leap. I think there, there's a kind of... If you look at previous generations when you could, you know, you could go to 3D gaming and, you know all of a sudden you started getting online features. It, I think the problem is is that so many of the games that we're playing on this latest generation feel like they're basically using the same kind of gameplay mechanics that we've been we've been used to for, you know, a decade, for the best part of a decade. So, you know, take something like, like Destiny or, or that kind of thing. As soon as people kind of see that, should we say, certain things seem the same, that it's kind of certain staples, there's a particular blueprint there... They feel well. If it's the same game, I at least want it to look spectacularly better. And when it when it seems like it perhaps isn't looking as good as it could be, perhaps because there is going to be some kind of issue of, you know, optimization and bringing both level both um, releases up to a certain level of parity, then people get annoyed because of that. You know, they've spent serious money and they want that kind of feeling of my shiny toy does something different to the old toy. Let me ask you a question as well. Let's say a developer, and James, tell me if this is just totally unfeasible as well. Let's say a developer says, do you know what? I'm just going to play to the strengths of whichever console has the hardware to match. And suddenly we were seeing versions coming out on one platform which were superior to the other. It could cause a winner because if you think back to like the Dreamcast PlayStation 2 era, was it EA basically just said we're only doing games for the PlayStation because we think this is the most powerful and best console and the Dreamcast I think uh, probably not just because of EA <laughs> siding one side that put a death knell on that one but and, and this... also surely they wouldn't even if it was you know let's say there was a huge amount of profit still to be made to do it on the other platform do you think they would have been so vocal um well this is all down to money today and you want to hedge your bets in the best direction and the way it happened on the previous generations, and I think it's still happening now, console uh, game manufacturers choose one lead platform. If you're a multi-platform developer, you choose one lead platform, and that tends to be the least powerful one to try and spread it out. Because if you can get it working well on that one, then 
every all the other platforms will work even better. So if you can have right. a baseline, everything else after that should be better. Which is why nowadays I think pretty much everyone's dropped the Wii U because it is so far behind that it would drag everyone else down even more. Whereas at least some of the previous generations, the Wii for a while had some parity. Obviously that dropped off as the generation went on. But it just costs more and more money to specialise. So if you can get that base average line out across everything, then it costs less just to have a few special effect ninjas just trying to tart it up and shine it up for each uh, individual platform. So I guess um, this one's going to run and run and run and there'll be lots of twists and turns as uh, as the generation matures, I suppose. Assassin's Creed will still sell. Who, you know, who are we kidding here? It'll still sell millions. That's the thing, people... They'll go off on one about this, but they won't actually stop buying the game because oh well, it's no oh, well, I'll just still buy it because I, I want to play it. So it's it's like here, people complain about here with Battlefield and FIFA, but you saw the queues for FIFA. It's like sold more than last time, so people still buy games. They won't stop buying them, but, but they'll still. Not only that, there seems to be more and more of a vocal contingent of people that like to lock horns over this subject, whether they're buying the game or not. It seems to be... You, you always yeah. get this at the start of a generation, though, when, when consoles cost so much that a lot of fans want to feel like they've bought into not just that piece of hardware, but they want to try and justify their decisions to themselves by almost putting down other other consoles. It just always amazes me like how, how much uh, people enjoy that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's interesting. Fanboys will be fanboys. <laughs> Uh, so Microsoft were in the news this week um, announcing a kind of uh, update to the Illumi Room um, announcement that they had not so long ago. Uh, tell us about Room Alive and, and why we're going to need it. Well you, well, you might need it, you might want it, but it will probably never be there for retail. Um, but yeah, this was Microsoft Research kind of carrying on their their idea of experimentation with Connect from the Illumi Room, which was a kind of projected space around the the gaming screen um yeah and they've evolved this into room and live which is a kind of augmented reality kind of game sphere if you want um so you it would use this time they've, they've just kind of thrown the kitchen sink at it so it, it's six cameras with six projectors to kind of calibrate a, a, an overlapping surface all the way around the room so it creates a an entire kind of canvas for for the game to project on and then it's it well, it's just a, a game space. After that, you know, you can you can walk into it. You you can kind of um, interact with objects. You can shoot things. You can hit them. You can dodge things. Um, and it's it's obviously at this point it's hugely unwieldy. It's you know six cameras and six projectors all all kind of stuck on a rig. That's... Can you imagine the heat? I mean, I don't need to run the central heating when I've got my projector on in my living room. <laughs> it it would be. I think you'd notice in your electricity bills as well. Well, that too, that too. Um, but yeah, plus it, you'd have to sneak them all in past the wife. Yeah. <laughs> What's that interesting new chandelier we've got up there? <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. But it, it does look. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. I think it, it's it's completely superfluous research and development. It's it's kind of just finding ways to use things. But I, you know, I'm I'm still of the belief that that's basically how a lot of kind of Sony R and D tends to go on which is come up with an idea see what's interesting and sooner or later you'll find a way to use it in a gaming way i, th- I thought it looked really exciting from what they were shown obviously the the demos were quite basic you know you're talking whack-a-mole and duck hunt type uh, type games but it really really does have potential to be something something special i think you likened it to uh, a step towards the holodeck yeah, well, fingers crossed. I mean, it's. I mean, we're getting VR. That technology is slowly coming along. So, augmented reality gaming. Perhaps it won't just be kind of you know, funny little apps on a smartphone. Perhaps there will be a way to actually bring that into the living room properly. I mean, I can imagine some interesting things around it as well. Because if it if it's scanning your living room and through some means detect where your TV is, and uh, if you've got your console running anyway, it, it allows it to project the world beyond the actual th- uh, picture that's projected on your TV. So you can see the spillover, the forest floor, the, the skyscraper. So I think it's got some interesting um, accompanying effects to, uh, to the Xbox if it, if it ever went down that route. Even, uh, even just sort of media capabilities and communication capabilities, you know, just 
putting putting you in a room with someone else. Fascinating. Really, really could be something. Did they did they say where where it goes from here? Whether we're ever likely to see, you know, an update or, um, you know, the next the next step? No, no. I I think it's just a case of you know, playing about with what you can do with with connect and with um with projectors and the like and, and just you know as we've seen a lot of interesting kind of you know um universities use connect in in various kind of uh scientific ways and so uh microsoft research are obviously just kind of carrying that on just seeing how far they can push the technology I think the the limitating factor at the moment is the fact that it takes the six projectors and the six connects, and so it's so far out away from anything that could be used practically in the in in space at the moment. So I think it's almost going to be one of these that you just is kept in the back pocket. Uh, Microsoft Research are awesome at just basically just riffing on ideas. They have ideas and they just run with it to see what they can do, and uh, it's. The, the papers they they produce are very interesting, but are so I don't know, I've tried reading a few of them, and they are just so beyond my comprehension. It's uh, I think for far cleverer minds than mine to actually be uh, to useful for. Do you think we could actually be physically building our own uh, worlds in Minecraft three, a, a Microsoft um, platform exclusive? Uh, Cushion forts that come to reality. <laughs> <laughs> a few years down the line. Blimey. Um, I'd love to say yes. I'd love to say yes, but I think, like you say, like the power bill and just the sheer. Pr- it's bad enough when I had a room full of rock band accessories, let alone all that knocking around as well. God, yeah, I remember that. I remember the times: drums, microphones. Yeah. God, dear. You can tell that. Well, I, I, the ones that really work for me, I, I recommend anyone going to try and look out the video. But the ones that work for me are the ones that were things like the duck hunt. There was a chap wandering around with his room shooting. Uh, it looked like bugs coming out the wall, but it just throws me back to like the old eight-bit era and how it's progressed and how the the ducks flying around your living room instead. I always wanted the super scope. Yeah, the super scope. That looked great, didn't it? It's the one I never got. Yeah, I never got it. How did it work? Was it just literally a bazooka? It looked yeah. like a bazooka with with just like the plastic little eye kind of socket for lining it up as well. Yeah, I can't even I can't, remember I can't what game was for using it. it would be much fun for longer than like 10 minutes i think it was like the, i remember playing duck hunt and having to rest my arm every now and again or just walking <laughs> up to the telly and putting the gun straight on the duck <laughs> see i wanted the orange gun but for some reason in the uk we only seem to get the beige the beige and white gun and in the us they got the orange one what was the uh, what was the sort of weird gyro thing as well that they used to get? It's like a robot. What Rob the robot? Yeah, well, did it come with a Nintendo? It, it it, yeah, there was a. I can't remember when what it came it out, but do? it was one of the later ones. It was an, it was just another gimmick. It was it was a robot that would occasionally play with little spinny. Um, I, can't, I don't know what you call them, dreidly type things. Just spinning tops. That was it. I think it would just yeah, set like spinning gyros. tops going. Ah, here we go. So. Playing with a dreidel. <laughs> what the hell is a dreidel? Have you never watched South Park? Yeah. <laughs> Gyromite was the game that it came with. That was it. Yeah, I, 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 I've started ah. collecting NES cartridges, and Rob the Robot is on my list, but I still can't quite justify it, because even I just look at it going, what, what does it do? Have you got your it, NES then hooked up? Yeah, yeah it's, my NES is about three foot away from me as I speak. I've got my wow. NAND CRT 14-inch portable telly next to me because it was the last <laughs> CRT I could find. And, uh, yeah. And it, what you you don't feel like you could emulate this stuff? You just actually want to own the bits? and Oh, yeah, you could, easy, you could easily emulate it, but I just love the feel. There's yeah. something so tactile about having to shake and blow a cartridge and then try and put it in at just the right angle so the connector works. And those rigid sleeves, those black sleeves yes. that used to come in as well. Yeah. This, I just find something beautiful about the NES cartridge itself. It's it's so ugly, it's beautiful. Well, completely. And do you remember when Zelda released that gold version of the cartridge and you just open it, it just blew your mind yes. that someone would come up with an idea of saying, do you know what, let's just do this whole cartridge in a completely different colour. That was just like unheard of. Fantastic. Yeah. I've, I've got, I'm looking because I've got a wall of grey, but there's one shining gold cartridge glinting in the middle of it. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna have to send you a link of this uh, Rob the Robot. I'm looking at images of it now. I'm just, you, you know me. I'm, I have no idea what you're talking about. Every time <laughs> when it goes back past ten years, it's. 
I know what Anez is, but I never used one. If he plays Smash Brothers, I think is Rob is Rob a fighting character this time around? I'm not quite is sure. he really? That's brilliant. What what does he do? Just spin tops at people then? Positive. Surely he can't fight. He just sit there, just spinning tops at people. <laughs> so don't make him like that anymore. That's no. for sure. No, there's a reason why. Complete and utter tat. Do you know? I think I've told the story on the pod before, but it's still I love it. It's such a great story. My, my, my mum. I'd been naughty. I'd done something untidy in my room. God knows what. Um, and she confiscated my controllers, so I couldn't play Super Mario Three. And I knew my dad's friend also had a NES. They lived like two streets over. <laughs> So I went round and said, okay. hey, would you mind if I could borrow your controllers? Ours is broken. They were like, yeah, of course. And we had it for about six months. Can I tell you, the one that I showed my wife the other day, because I, I, she was getting concerned about how many eBay packages were coming for me, <laughs> NES-shaped. I said, well, can I just interrupt? Just, what are they going for at the moment? I, depend, how- I'm, they range from, like, I tried to get the ones that are between like five and 15 quid, but some of the rarer ones, they go for hundreds still. So it's, it's all the way up. Tell me what a hundred game, a hundred pound cartridge is. Oh, um, fill me in. Give me, a, give me a glimpse uh, into this world. I've actually bought one at a hundred pounds. No, no, I not yet. Thank God for that. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. I've been tempted. <laughs> He's been hovering over the. Oh, do I? Yeah, do I, I, I started flicking through the collection because like, I found a website that has listed them all, and I'm trying to get for all the European ones. And I looked at the rarest ones there, and I think there's one called City Connection, and they, there was an eBay auction where that was included, and that was going for like a few hundred euros at the time et must be uh pretty steep they can just go dig that up can't you they could go <laughs> dig that up they could um i used to love punch out punch out was my absolute fave yes i think there's some that still hold up and i think punch out is definitely one of them can you and, and have you got a working system can you play these yeah yeah i've, I've actually i this is sorry we're turning into the obsessive podcast this but i've got three um just in case i like having backups. three nezzers just in case. So you could have them like in a Luma room or something like yes. that. Yes. In Room Alive. <laughs> Six <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> wow. Basically, there's one from my childhood. There's one that I walked past in a car boot and just felt sorry for and had to take home. And there's one as a spare. <laughs> right. And they're all working? Um, two and a half are. <clears throat> right. So one's for spares almost. What, yeah, you've got to jiggle it in the right way. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> have any of them gone that horrible, slightly yellow colour? Uh, no, no, they're sort of hiding under a table at the they're moment. In a hermetically so a... sealed box. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, Alien Isolation came out this week. Did anyone pick it up? I haven't, and the reason I haven't is I played. Well, I played it at Gamescom and thought it was a very nice, tight, like little experience. Feared of the alien running away, trying to hide. Really? I, just what section did they have you play then? Because. It was it's a one real of the slow burner, so I'm I'm interested to see how they were demoing it. It was uh, one of the challenge levels, so right. um, I think it was quite it, it, away from all the story. It just set you in okay. the task of trying to get through the ship. But I really like that sense of isolation and fear, and almost the fact that there was no story attached to it. I thought made it better. But then hearing all the reviews saying it's about twenty hours long, it just put me off slightly, thinking that you'd lose that that sense of terror, that sense of isolation. But, I mean, you've been playing it. How's it been? Well, I, I've been trying to play it today. I have, I've been on daddy daycare today, so I have my daughter. She's only one years old, and uh, she isn't really of an age where I can get away with uh, sneaking off and playing a video game. So I kicked the game off to download and install and put her down for a nap, and just as I sat down to start it, she woke up again. So I managed to squeeze in about an hour and a half before we sat down today. And I'm not really sure how I feel about it it's very early on and interestingly you would have seen the reviews like i have it's definitely divided opinion and the movies for me like the the first movie the ridley scott movie is like one of my faves of all time it's just an amazing example of you know writing and pace but also lighting and uh, and composition and in many ways this game kind of gets that but then there's times when it, it totally loses it like the lighting in this game at times is brilliant, so atmospheric and so true to the to the genre. I mean, it's almost a genre in itself. But is right it now. is it all from first person perspective though? It's it's all from first person perspective, at least in the story mode, from what I've played so far. And actually, I'm glad you brought it up because the 
the POV, it feels a bit weird. It feels a bit janky and a bit... At times you feel like you're too tall, like you're almost up into the ceiling. See, that's what I didn't know whether whether they'd be able to get that kind of Ridley Scott's composition. You know, you mentioned this because how do you get that same sense of kind of skewing shots and that kind of thing if it's all from a first-person perspective? You know, it, it must be a lot harder to try and come up with interesting ways to kind of make it seem just kind of, I don't know, to try and put you on edge almost. Definitely. Well, look, let, let, let's dial it back a bit. I mean, the the narrative is interesting. I don't think it necessarily fits with the world. For me, it's all about, it should all be about survival. And this opens it up far wider because there's a, a kind of, I don't really want to go too much into spoilers, but there's a much um, kind of wider environment with people to interact with, which is something I wasn't initially expecting. But it, the game doesn't do a great job of switching between the uh, the video, the rendered video sequences and back into gameplay. That's not done particularly smoothly. So that kind of breaks the experience. But also just the POV, it's just it's it's not nice. It's not smooth. As I say, there's scenes where you feel like you're up in the ceiling. It's not quite right. I mean, it's it's interesting what they've done, and they they should be commended because at times, you know, it's brilliantly tense. Uh, Were you scared though? That's the that's the key point because I'm going nowhere near this one. <laughs> it played Outlast for ten minutes, and that was enough. Yeah, who, who played <laughs> Outlast just out of interest? I've played it. Yeah. Yeah, so stay James, did you play out last? No, no, I missed that one. I, th- I think I downloaded enough. it on PlayStation Plus. Just never most, got. Yeah, to most it. people I speak to seem terrified to to play it if they know. And it, it is probably the scariest game I've ever played. This comes nowhere near anything to that. At least not where I'm at so far. Um, and I guess that's partly because you kind of know what's coming. And also, it does that thing where. You know when you're watching a movie and there's a character in a movie and you can say within like 10 seconds, that dude's going to die? It's always the dude with the glasses first. The dude, the, the, the dude like with slightly loose morals or whatever, you know, just that, that dude's going to die. Do you think they tried to go too grand with it then? Do you think if they'd have pulled it back to, uh, I don't want to say an arcade experience, but a more streamlined focus on the game, it could have been more appealing to you? Yeah, I think so. I, I've... I remember a game, now I must have been about 14, 15 years old, maybe 16 actually, and a friend of mine, we we went back to his and it must have been the PlayStation or maybe a a Saturn, Um, and it was an alien marines type game where you were walking around with a motion detector, and it was the height of winter, we were in his living room, he had a fire on, (laughs) it was nice and cosy. It was Alien Trilogy. maybe it was Alien Trilogy I'll have to google it in a sec and have a look but I wasn't even playing he was playing I was just sitting and watching (laughs) and he was inching down this corridor and this motion detector's going off and it starts going boop 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 faster and faster and then suddenly out of nowhere this face hugger jumps out and it was the most amazing gaming experience we were both in the we both leapt out of our chairs and I think I was I was kind of hoping for something a bit more I think it gets like that because the 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 levels. I'm that sure I've... it does. Uh, I'm I'm sure it does. But I, you're right. The feeling of isolation in the narrative, um, it's not what I believed it would be. Certainly not early on. No, and I I think if the rumours are true of it being 20 hours long, even if it takes you like say two or three to get to the alien sections, that's an awful long time for its core gameplay hook to keep you tense. Yeah. I can imagine it being quite draining after a while. Oh, completely, yeah, completely. Because the dynamics are different with the movie. You know, the movie was famous because you didn't see the alien until an hour in, and then beyond that, you never really saw it fully until much, much later in the film. Now, if you're going to try and ape those concepts in this game, how do you do that when it's sort of spanned over twenty hours and, and get that right? You know. Mm. Um, I actually quite fancy going back and playing it now, <laughs> and seeing. But there was, the, I, it definitely reminded me of Dead Space as well. Um, obviously, Dead Space third person, so it's slightly different. But uh, that was the last time I, I think a game like that has really, really grabbed me. I mean, that was and, fantastic. Uh, that Dead Space. Yeah, I, this doesn't 
feel anywhere near as sort of um, well executed as that game so far. Did I just uh, miss a message there? Oh no, I just pinged through uh, what I think is the Alien game. Did that come out of the PS1? Yeah, that, that Saturn, yeah. Do you know what? In 1996, it? I was what 16 years old. That's it. That must be the game. Is it Alien Trilogy? or? Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they keep coming back to this franchise. You know, we had Aliens Marines last year. I didn't play it. Did anyone, anyone oh, play the last game to come there. out? Was it terrible? I didn't play it, but by all accounts, it was like the most awful game there's ever yeah. been. I watched yeah. a few Let's Plays because I didn't want to drop money on it, and it's... It didn't do itself any favours, I don't think, with aliens sort of moonwalking in corners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a franchise that everybody wants to go back to. And I think the original movie must have come out in 79, 79 or 80. Yeah. 79. So, I mean, that was the year I was born. I mean, like, that's how long these games have, uh, these, this story, sorry, has been around. And even now, we're still getting games released tied into that. So, it's, it's fascinating. And, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there was another movie in there somewhere. Um, obviously, Prometheus is um, is going to have a sequel, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got another out-and-out Alien movie at, at, at some point. What, what I do like about Alien, though, is the is how it, how it proves that a good film does not necessarily translate into a good game. There has to be an awful lot of clever decisions made to make that, as you say, like you don't see the Alien. It's a sense of isolation, a sense of darkness. And then you get something like Alien Marines or uh, Aliens vs. Predator where the mystique of the alien just goes as you get hundreds of them thrown at you and you're just mowing them down. And all of a sudden, they've they've lost their teeth. They're not as terrifying anymore. And it it takes something like Alien Isolation for it to to try and rebuild that terror amongst the masses. And maybe it's not possible. You know, maybe it's not possible to do what a movie has done in two hours and, and translate that. I was going to say, the, the key problem is, I mean, you know, you mentioned one of the great things about Alien, which is pacing. How do you pace a video game? How do you, how do you make sure that everyone's playing it at the same speed? I mean, there, there are people who played something like, um, like I played Bioshock. I wanted to get every audio log. I wanted to, you know, kind of, I crept around corners and it, it kind of, it built on me slowly. I, I know people who just kind of ran through corridors mowing people down. So, you know, how do you necessarily build a game like this where, you know, to, to kind of mirror what was done in Alien, where, you know, it's just slow brooding, this sense of unease for, yeah. you know, best part of an hour. In, in and, a- and do you know what? I'm so glad you brought it up as well. This is another game which is expecting me to read things and listen to tapes. I mean, look, this game is set in the distant future where mining faraway worlds of their resources yet still people were recording on cassettes <laughs> i mean what is this you keep saying the old stuff's the best i'm running around collecting tdk cassettes and listening in and and the guys that we're listening to speak on these uh on these tapes i mean they're warning of a of something killing people on the on the ship and you think well surely this person would be panicked and rather than panicked it's almost like it's almost like they're gossiping. <laughs> it's a dear diary moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's really hammy in places. Um, I mean, look, it sounds like I'm really gunning the game, and I suppose in many ways I am. I'm only an hour and a half into it. I think that it's onto something. It's definitely worth a look. If you like this genre of game, then I think um, there's enough for you. And certainly if you like the series of movies and the stories, then... Well, know. Leon's reviewing it, so... Watch out! He, for that. he seemed to be quite into it as well in our sort of uh, postings that we had in our little thread pre-podcast. Yeah. There, yeah. Well, hopefully that'll be on the site soon. Maybe by the time you listen to us, yeah, maybe. <laughs> don't want to commit to anything. No. I'm always, I'm always trying to rush you guys. I don't know why I do that. Anyway, anyway. So it's you know maybe I'll update next month on my thoughts. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Well, we talked about what I've been playing. Guys, you mentioned Destiny earlier. I, I'm just interested to know, are you, are you still playing Destiny or has it kind of fallen by the wayside already? I, I have a slight confession. Um, after I, I wrote on the site that I was walking away, leaving Destiny behind after being disappointed, um, I, I've, I've fallen back into it. 
Um, what tempted you back? Well, as silly as it sounds, it was the loot cave. Now, to anyone who doesn't <laughs> know, uh, this was a cave somewhere in the starting area that if uh, if you stood far enough back, the enemies would pretty much infinitely spawn. Just a constant stream of um, creatures just to be gunned down in your sights. And it, it was quite a therapeutic manner. I think my, <laughs> my brother invited me back in. He knew I'd been raging against it. He said, just just come and let off some steam. And you I, might get I, some I, nice I know drops. a place. I know a place. Yeah, come, sure. yeah. come, we'll it's go. It's safe. We'll... You're amongst friends. <laughs> Um, and it, it was weird because we came into this area and lined up in a little row all against a certain boundary marker were about four or five other um, guardians I almost said Spartans this sounds guardians. like proper old school boosting it was it was and I have to say that somehow sparked something back in me I think I got a couple of good drops and I found it quite therapeutic just uh, letting off the frustrations of this but that's that's destiny though isn't it when you find something, you think that you're fatigued, you think you're done with it, and just at that moment it drops something that you think, ooh, shiny, and then you're yes. back in, yeah. just when I thought I was out. <laughs> I'd love to take the moral high ground, but me and Steve spent about an hour shooting that cave as well. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea what it was, so I had to show him. And uh, yeah, I, I must admit that that sort of garnered my attention for a while, but I have since stopped playing it. It's... Uh, it, it, the problem was, I mean, they've updated it now, was the, the fact that you'd get a, an engram, the, like one of the legendary engrams, and it'd turn out just to be a pair of boots or a gun that was massively underpowered, so you couldn't use it. And to me, I mean, obviously, the, they don't want to reward that sort of gameplay, which is why they've nerfed it now. There's no such thing as a loot cave. Um, but to me, I, it never got any, I never got any rewards from it. So that it, it was just there was no hook anymore, um, you know, after the story had been completed, you know, within a few hours and then trying to get a few friends or trying to even get a raid together with six people is ridiculous. So, I mean... Yeah, I, th- I think the other factor that's kept me going is the fact that my brother and all my regular playing friends, they are still hardcore at it. I mean, they did the raid in the Vault of Glass, like the high-level 26, 28, six-man raid. Um, it took them five nights and I think 13 hours across all of it. Um, hopefully we're doing it again this Sunday. Um but it was the, the knowledge that they were still going to be there, that if I wanted to, to play with people I knew online, it would be Destiny. And I mean, the, as much as I might have complained in the article, and I still say everything, I still hold everything I said true, there is an awful lot of repetition, and it feels like a bare-bones product. It feels like the first draft of a release that they want to try and drag out over 10 years. But they've still got that core gunplay that I think is superb. And whilst the AI, I think, is is not on the level of Halo in the past. It still is an interesting shooting mechanic, shooting level, shooting sandbox. There's still something satisfying about rollicking through there and just blasting everything in sight. But here's here's the question, though, uh, for you as someone who was, was obviously a Halo fan. When Master Chief Collection lands and you get to play through all those games again and also you've got obviously the Halo multiplayer. Can you see yourself firing up Destiny again? I think once I've done the Vault of Glass, the raid, I think that'll be me done for a while naturally. I think I'll have then reached the end game, seen everything I need to see, and there'll be no reason for me to level up. At the moment, I've still got that as my goal. Like I've been grinding for a special gun, I've been grinding for a special hat, um, and that's been my goal. And then You get after- hats in this. I keep calling helmets hats, and it annoys the hell out of half the people. Helmet, it's all the same. But data, but data. But to be honest, as soon as Halo Two comes out, I'm I'll be on Xbox One, solidly probably playing through that, feeling for the old times, and then casting dirty looks at Destiny. But then they've kind of got what they wanted then, because then they can always try and pull you back with some new added content. Oh yeah, the, must surely be down the road. Well, yeah, the first DLC is in December. Yeah, right, right, right. But how much will it be? Well, it's thirty-five pound for the season pass, isn't it? So you'd, you'd gauge that at roughly about seventeen pound per expansion. I, I mean, ob- obviously, you know, we know how much the game has sold because of how hyped it was. But I would be fascinated to see how many people who who haven't bought the season pass go for that. Um, There's as a straw poll of people in my office, I know I'm not the only one who is 
I think we've we've described it as being in in an uh, an abusive relationship where we all want <laughs> to play it, but it gives us nothing in return. It's so there's at least four or five people in in, in my office just doing the same, just going back and having fun with friends. Because even playing a mediocre game with friends is is fun, is amusing. You very can chat. True, yeah, very true. And there's almost I think because of the gate gunplay, it's almost this mindless thing that you can switch into autopilot and and hammer through whilst just having a laugh. The point is, there's still though enough there. I think because the gunplay is tight, it, it's one of those games where you can just kind of idle shooting things in and not feel. Well, sometimes you might feel that you've wasted your time, but it, it's still it's still fun. You know the core gameplay, but there are lots of things that they can do. It, it feels still like it's in beta. It feels still like they're they're gaining kind of getting their little um, census votes in and seeing exactly what people like, what they don't. You know, nerfing certain things and ironing out all the little wrinkles. And hopefully, I, I would say you know in a year's time it will be vastly different. I would like to see more communication options if you're gonna if if you're not gonna give matchmaking for everything then you need to make sure that you're not asking people to jump through hoops because what we're seeing right now is a lot of people going to different forums or finding ways to just try and build up friends lists through websites and the like which is basically like a really lo-fi version of matchmaking anyway so you are just teaming up with random people only you're just not allowed to do it through Bungie's, you know, game. It's fight Club. Yeah, exactly. So you're having to go away to somewhere else to read about the game, to read what the story was, and to find people who you can actually do things with in the game. All it would need is something where you get, you know, communication, not just linked to fire teams, but to nearby player chat, quick chat options, that kind of thing, just in the tower. Because I'm sure if there was just a little area where people were saying, does someone want to do, you know, Vault of Glass or something like that, and I'll definitely be back X, Y, and Z days, then people would actually join in. But it feels like, yep. in a weird way, everyone who's played, everyone who's who's done the raid, everyone who's done Vault of Glass says it shows the most originality, the most invention in gameplay. It shows, you know, exactly the end game of Destiny and what it will evolve to be. But it's locked away from three quarters of the players of the game which just seems absolutely mad that's where you know the key point where the game actually comes alive is and do you think Bungie went in with their eyes open or do you think there's been a little bit of naivety on their part I think idealism I think they'd hoped that they were big enough to try and shift a few standards uh gaming standards and i think to a certain amount they have they've, they've created this slightly new genre that's mixed diablo with world of warcraft which with halo but yeah. they've tried to change too much too quickly i think too quick. yeah and yeah. and that's re- resulted in the bare bones layer rather than coming out with something solid and stable and growing it they've yeah it's too thin too thin yeah but, I mean, someone has to. I mean, I, I, you have to take your hat off to them and applaud for them for trying this. They could have just done another Halo-esque game, single-player romp. And I will be very interested to see if this has any sort of knock-on effect for the likes of Call of Duty, for the likes of Halo, and to see if it affects their their plans, if not this year or next year, but the years after as the, as the effects of Destiny sink in. Uh, guys, any reviews to plug? Steve, I know you've been um, reviewing Shadow of uh, Mordor, the uh, Lord of the Rings game. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of the series myself. Uh, Mark, I know you're not particularly bowled over by it either. Is there is there enough there to reel us in? Uh, well, there isn't, there isn't, because in terms of sitting in the, the Tolkien universe, it's a complete standalone from Lord of the Rings. It's set purposely between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and the only overriding sort of, you know, plot line between is that you interact with the the spirit of the elf who forged the original Rings of Power, and that's about it. Obviously, there's the orcs and the the Uruks and Sauron's rise to power, but there's no sort of um, script line of sort of the characters from either of the films, apart from Gollum, who makes an appearance for no apparent reason whatsoever. But that's about it. There's no, you know, there's no Frodo, Aragorn, Legolas, any of that. Um, so it's its completely own storyline, separate to both predetermined events of the sort of the the, the Hobbit trilogy and the 
The Lord does of the Rings that trilogy. work? Does, does that even? I mean, like, who who even has the the balls big enough to go and write new content off the back of uh, of something? so well established I mean it, I mean, it is good because it, it does sit in the timeline it's just a separate character so obviously it is in the world but um, it's before I mean I don't want to get too bogged down in the sort of lore but anyone who knows Lord of the Rings about the the Black Gate and that being overcome by you know then falling into the power of Sauron it tracks that and um, a ranger as he's um, as his family's killed by um, Sauron's Black Hand and then he's trapped between the worlds of light and dark, so he has to go and take, you know, find, seek revenge on the people that killed his family. Is, is the black hand like a, a gang, or is it, or is it, does he have a black hand? Do they, are they like the Black Panthers? Yeah. Are they, are they in the, no, it's the, it's the, it's the sort of highest sort of ranking people within Sauron's army, so he's got sort of a, a select group of people called the Black Hand. I know it's a, a silly name and what have you, but, um, so he, it's quite a cool name. Well, it is and it isn't, you know what I mean? It's sort of a sort of generic sort of name. It sounds sort of, you know, sort of frightening, but it's still sort of, oh, yeah, well, just, just the, the black hand. Yeah, yeah. It? yeah. Um, so it is sort of, you know, it, it has got an interesting sort of-ish storyline, but it sort of dwindles out the conclusion. What's the gameplay? I don't even know what the it's gameplay ve- is. Basically, it's very Assassin's Creed and Batman Arkham. Right, okay. Um, and okay. when I say that, it basically... It's a carbon copy of the Assassin's Creed games. You sort of, oh. it's, you know, your third person fair, um, right down to the jumping into bushes, stealth killing people from bushes, rooftops, ledge climbing, um, a bit of melee combat with combos and finishing moves from Arkham to to mix in with it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, I picked up on this. If you're going to take sort of inspiration of combat systems, those sort of two worlds have sort of nailed it down to a sort of refined system now. Yeah, um, yeah. I've heard rumours that it started out life as a Batman game, didn't it? Or is, or is it just heavy inspiration? Um, there's, there was rumours that it was running on Assassin's Creed code. That's all I've seen. Um, whether it was supposed to be a Batman game, I, I couldn't say. Um, but there were rumours that someone who worked on Assassin's Creed went from Ubisoft to Monolith and he took the code with them. And the game runs on that base code, and someone who still works at Ubisoft based on a USB key. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's Snuck happened. It That's all. highly dodgy. Yeah, but he said someone, someone else from Ubisoft. Guys, guys, I've got a new engine. Look. Yeah, yeah. And he said that um, basically got on a game Batman and the Fellowship at a ring. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Why is your lead character called Ezio? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just have to delete those files and rename them. But you know, yeah. So it's. It's it's not necessarily bad. It doesn't suffer from that, but it doesn't really bring anything new apart from the Nemesis system, which is sort of where the the Orcs and the the Uruks and the Chiefs fight between themselves, a constant struggle for power between Sauron's army, and that constantly runs in the background of your own sort of um, you know your sort of plot line. And every time you die, the person who killed you he increases in power and goes a rank higher until he becomes a war chief. Would, would, would I be correct in assuming that this is a game for fans? Yeah, well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to tell Mark, it, it, it all depends down on really how much you like Assassin's Creed, really. It's not so much the universe itself, because it's purposely not carried the Lord of the Rings tagline to sort of pigeon it into that universe, because it doesn't want to sort of be that game that's just, oh, yeah, it is a bit Lord of the Rings. It tries to tell a story that's already been told, because it doesn't. But it's obviously, with the Middle Earth, it obviously is in that world. But it's not really one for die-hard fans. It's more of a much question of how much you like the third-person genre that sits in with Batman, Arkham. Would... I mean, I must say, I, I enjoyed the movies. I thought they were brilliant. I think Peter Jackson is a genius. Maybe a, a bit self-indulgent, but he is a genius. But I, I have to admit, I was rolling my eyes. Like, every time you said... Sauron's this and orcs and irks and I was just losing, I was just losing yeah. track. So if the game is not for fans, I'm just intrigued who it's actually for. Because, but, but do you need to know that to have fun in the game? Because I mean, I played the last Assassin's Creed and I didn't give two hoots about really what was going on. I was just mucking around in the world, and that seemed to suffice. Mm. It's very true. I just think if you're faced with a shelf of Assassin's Creed, Shadow of Mordor, but they've been quite cunning in that because it's not. Lord of the Rings doesn't really appear anywhere on the box. It's just Shadow of Mordor. Yeah. So they've the, tried to pull it back slightly yeah. from too close association with uh, 
with Dungeons and Dragons. If you don't, yeah. if you don't sort of get on with the the enemies of obviously like the like I said the orcs and the uruks and so on. If you don't get that sort of world and you don't like those enemies, then you probably won't enjoy it because that's the enemies that you do encounter. But if you can just see beyond that and just because you could forgive this for being an Assassin's Creed game just in a different you know just a different sort of layer. Yeah, uh, the big thing is Middle Earth. Yeah. they've been selling this on kind of the Nemesis system. Does it make that much of a difference? Because it's the kind of thing that, shall I say, it kind of sets off a little alarm bell in my head saying, PR speak, it won't make that much difference. You know, th- this idea that, sh- should we say, if you burn an orc, then he, he remembers that and then he, he'll come back at you, you know, or they might be, some might be scared and some might fight kind of for you and how you set up particular assassinations and that kind of stuff. Does it make that much difference? It does, yeah, because like every enemy has his own strengths and weakness, so one enemy will be vulnerable to range attacks. Some people won't like if you attack them when you're mounted on a Karagor, whereas other times that might anger or you know enrage another enemy and make them stronger. So it does give it a unique twist, and obviously, like you said, each time that if they kill you or if you attack them and then they flee, they'll remember that. So each time they'll they'll you know you sort of start the fight and they'll remember you. And they'll sort of taunt you, and it makes it makes death sort of interesting. It's they, they bear a grudge. Yeah, and and it makes you every time you die, it makes you want to go seek them out because every time it makes it a little bit hard because obviously they increase in strength each time, so it does make you want to go out and seek them and obviously kill them. And it's it's an interesting hook because obviously in a lot of games when you die, oh that's it, I can't be bothered, and you'll just replay the same level. But in this, it makes it so because obviously you get you get rewarded for death a little bit as well, so it'll give you a bit of XP each time you die. So obviously, it sort of does that sort of like unique little thing. Oh well, yeah, I can die, and I'll just go back and kill him. But you want to go kill him because you know that you you might have you've obviously killed him. He's obviously killed you before, but you want to go take him down and then take his take his title because every time you kill a chief you get a rune which you can upgrade your weapons your bow your dagger etc so it does sort of give it a unique hook to the game but it's not it's not enough to sort of base the game on because obviously there's nothing new surrounding the the nemesis system itself because obviously the missions are sort of a bit wishy-washy and the story's a bit meh so if it was the nemesis system with a, a game that brought a lot of different sort of new gameplay aspects to it it would be a sort of yeah, it's a brilliant game, but it's it's sort of a bit you know like Destiny. It's good. It's a, it's a re- it's a really good game. It's mechanics and things are sound, but it's just nothing sort of drastically new. So it's probably something that if you know you know it's not something that's piqued your interest already, then it's probably something that you could just leave until a later date when there's nothing else to to pick between or when it drops in price a little bit. A very very rainy day. Yeah. Uh, Mark, anything else to add or? Uh, no, no, I'm in Devon, so I'm away from all my consoles. Badger country. You didn't Badger take any country. You? <laughs> no, no HD TVs here. No point. No point. I've done that before. Hook it up to an old CRT. It never looks the same. You can't read any. Do you not text. bring your Vita with you? Oh yeah, I brought my Vita. Okay, Got my Vita, but the but the broadband package down here is is uh, should we say tight? So the idea of kind of remote play or streaming anything is kind of it's yeah. not going to work but it's no, still quicker right. than my internet oh it's, it's not bad for, for, for speed it's just just a it, cap it, yeah there's a there's a ridiculous cap at which point I think last time I stayed down here for a month I think I cost them about 40 quid or something <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what games have you brought with you um, I, I brought you know what all of my old um, I've got my 3DS as well obviously um, I keep planning on on powering through. I don't know if anyone's ever played Flower, Sun and Rain, uh, Suda Fifty One game, very odd, that kind of thing. It's Japanese, yeah, of course. Has that got Japanese? Is that got the sun sensor in it? The what? Has that got a sun sensor in it, or is that I thinking of a different one? Like no, actually know. recording how light it is in the real world, and that affects the game. No, 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 no. That was um, that. I thought that was the old. Um, that, are you not thinking of the Game Boy Advance SP game Boktai? That's it. That's Boktai. the one I'm thinking that of. That was fantastic, yep. which was Still a really good time. idea for a, for a for a console that had a lousy screen when outside in sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Did it measure a game that promotes you to go outside? That's rare. Yeah, it, it had a little sensor, like this kind of little kind of bulb type thing on the top of of the cartridge so it could pick up how much on the top of the ambient, cartridge yeah onto how much ambient light there is around 
So and you had to what? charge it up because you were you were hunting vampires and uh, this sounds very sad, but <laughs> um, yeah. So the idea was was that you had to kind of go outside. Couldn't you just left it in the windowsill all day and then come back to it later on? <laughs> Ooh, boosting, yeah. yeah, boosting, yeah. See, not making fun of me taping down the controller on my 360 in Skyrim anymore, eh? It really has been the episode of Tat, hasn't it? Peripheral <laughs> Tat. So just tell me what it's called so I can Google it now. So Boktai. Boktai. B-O-K-T-A-I. I've got it right up now. It. It, it scored well at the time. I'm looking at the wiki page here. No yeah. lower score than an 8. Well, i tell you what, if you find the um, GBASP that's got the, the proper backlight, now that's worth money. I'm trying to think of any more sort of bonkers peripherals now. Where the power glove. Anyone ever have the power glove? Oh, that, that, the the best one I've seen, it, it has never been released. There was a NES um, accessory that was a knitting machine. What? what? It, was, it was revealed a couple of years ago. It was like some sort of flyer that they were handing out to PR companies. But yeah. Google. I mean, Google. Google. I can, already I can, finishing I can hear the keyboards. Was it properly a knitting machine? <laughs> it was, yeah. Or was you, it a you, weaving or the, crochet machine? Well, the, the advert was, now you're knitting with power. Guys, that brings another podcast to a close. Massive thanks again for your time. Uh, really appreciate you dropping down. And thanks to you, listener, as well. We always appreciate you downloading the podcast. If you have any comments, anything to add, uh, please swing by the thread or you can tweet us. Um, my Twitter handle is Steve underscore Hillskill. Uh, James, I gather you're on Twitter as well. Do you want to pimp your details? Yep, I'm uh, Big Sheep. And if anyone's got a Rob the Robot to sell, please get in touch. Steve, you're also on Twitter. Uh, do you want to pimp your details? Yeah, it's Steve underscore Carter 91. I am wearing a watchdog's face mask, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> <laughs> just just to clear yeah. that up now. Uh, so massive thanks to Mark. Cheers, Steve. Huge thanks to Steve. Thank you. High five to JT. Thank you. And we will see you all next time. But I became a panda and somehow I still finished behind you.